Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Today we head out to Jersey. For those in the USA, we're not talking about the state of New Jersey. We're talking about the Channel Islands. This island archipelago is teeming with paddling opportunities, and Nikki and Kevin Mansell joined today's episode to share why every paddler should go to Jersey. You've heard Nikki and Kevin's names dropped by Katie Carr in episode number 99, and Nikki and Kevin were also referred as guests by our friends Natalie and McCall in episode number 103. Before we get to our chat with Nikki and Kevin, James and Simon at OnlineSeaKayaking.com continue producing great content to help you evolve as a paddler and as a coach. You'll find everything from basic strokes and safety to paddling in tides, surfing, coaching, documentaries, and their latest edition, Expedition Skills. It's all in one place, and if you're not already a subscriber to OnlineSeaKayaking.com, here is your opportunity to get started. Visit OnlineSeaKayaking.com, use the coupon code PTBPODCAST at checkout, and you'll get 10% off up to 12 months of your subscription investment. Enjoy today's episode with Nikki and Kevin. Welcome, Nikki and Kevin. Thank you for joining Paddling the Blue. Thank you. Hi there. Well, tell me about both of you. And Nikki, let's hear from you first. I'm Nikki. I, I'm a kayak coach, but I'm also my original job was um, as a geography teacher on the island and have lived here now for 42 years, I think it is. So, um, and, and I'm now a, a tour guide in the island as well. I do walking tours, kayak tours, bike tours anything really that people want in the outdoors on the island, really. All right. Any time you're outdoors is a good time. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the best bit of my job was field trips. So I just take people on field trips now. Now, what age did you, uh, did you teach? Uh, 11 to 18 school. Okay. So right the way from 11 years to 18, yes. And I did used to, I, I was very lucky. I was in a school which encouraged us to go outside. So we did do a lot of field work. And by island, uh, you're referring to the island of Jersey. That's right. That's it. Yes, that's where we live, which is a small island in between France and the UK, much closer to France. We're only 14 miles at its closest point to France, about 100 miles to the UK. But we are a crown dependency of the United Kingdom, which uh, means we're answerable to the king, but not to the government. We don't have any representation at all in the in the English government or the British government. Okay, now how did that come about? Uh, well, it's a long story, but basically <laughs> we were French. We were in the um, sort of 11th century and 10th century, we were actually part of the Duke of Normandy's land and King William, well, anybody who does British history will know that in 1066, William conquered the British and in fact, Jersey people were on the side of William. So we were, he was part of our, the Duke of Normandy. He was our Duke of Normandy. And so we were part of France then, but then in 1204, King John managed to lose all the French lands and we had an option to stay with France or to stay with the British. And we ended up staying with, with England at the time, uh, mainly because I think Prince John, or King John ended up kidnapping some of the seigneur, which is like our lords of the manors, really, um, some of their sons. And so I think that he sort of bribed us into staying with the UK. But the, Fren the French have fairly regularly fought us on, you know, there's been, there's been battles with the French quite regularly 
the most recent one being overfishing. 14 miles from France and uh, roughly 100 miles from uh, from the UK. That's it, yeah. All right. Kevin, uh, tell us about you. So I lived in Jersey most of my life. I wasn't born here, but most of my life. And I got my first canoe, as they were called in those days. We now call them kayaks, obviously, uh, in 1969. I had it for Christmas one year. And I suppose since then, I've just been a paddler. Right. Uh, I, w- I was a teacher, but a lot of my life I've spent on the water um, paddling as much as I can. And I've been really fortunate to go to some great places and with some really fantastic people right. over the years. And, and I'm, since I've retired, I'm as active as ever. And now you're, and you're already in a fantastic place and you've had the chance to go to other fantastic places. Yeah, I mean, living here as a, a kayaker is, is a real privilege. You know, it's very easy to get into some amazing waters. I mean, I only got off the sea just over three hours ago. We, we've been out today paddling along the north coast. There's been, a, you know, entertaining conditions. It's been lovely. And we paused and had a couple of uh, minutes silence as part of a Remembrance Sunday, which was just a, a great way to spend a day. We've got a very active club here. There's a very active paddling scene here. So it's, if you're a kayaker, this is a really good place to come. All right. Now, you were a teacher as well, you mentioned. What did you teach? So I started off as a geography teacher, same as Nikki, but uh, moved into special needs quite early on. And, uh, and Nikki, uh, your paddling history? Uh, well, I was lucky enough at school to do a little bit, um, but I didn't really start until after university. Before that, I was always sort of interested in mountains and climbing. And then after university, I worked in an outdoor centre for a while in the Lake District and started paddling. And then Kevin and I sort of did lots of paddling sort of early on. Our first big trip was to Denmark and round the Danish islands. It's I started actually on lakes and rivers. And now obviously what we've got here is sea. We don't have any rivers here. So it's all sea kayaking. Well, it's again a beautiful area for that. Do you still do any climbing? No, not really, but I do go into the mountains when we can. But Jersey doesn't have any mountains, really, so we we stick to the sea mostly. So speaking of Jersey, what is the terrain like there? Well, we're an island which is only nine miles by five. It's a sort of plateau, really, which tilts to the south. The top of the plateau is around about 250 feet, that sort of a, a mount. And, but we've, we've got really big cliffs all the way around our north coast and southwest corner, big granite cliffs and some volcanic rocks as well around. Lots of caves, lots of gullies, lots of arches. Yeah, really attractive coast to, to kayak around. So that's a, that's a pretty small island. What's the population? We've got a population of just over 100,000. So it is, it, it is a, a busy place, but it's surprising really, I think, our sort of wilderness is basically the sea. The population is concentrated in in a few sort of areas in the main town of St Helier, but yes, you you don't you can't you're never far from somewhere, and you can usually see a building. But once you're on the coast, there's some quite dramatic sections. So, Kevin, tell us a little bit about the paddling on Jersey itself. So, the paddling here is probably defined by the tides. Big spring tides reach about twelve meters. Not every year, we had three spring tides in 2023, but it means there's a lot of water moving most of the time. So off all of the headlands, you'll get tide races. 
which have different characteristics. They're not all the same. Some are much better for kayakers to play in than others. Some are much safer than others. So we've got this sort of big movement of water. We've got stretches of granite cliffs in particular, which are vertical with limited access for landing, perhaps just every two to three miles. And then we're really fortunate that offshore, we have some amazing reefs which we can paddle out to. The most popular is a, a reef called the Ecrehose, which is halfway between here and Normandy in France. It's a real sort of bit of heaven, really. It's this um, amazing reef. There are some small houses on the reef, which are sort of weekend cottages, summer houses, that sort of thing. Their tides run quite swiftly between the reef. In between Jersey and the Ecrios on a spring tide, there'll be five knots of current going across. So good knowledge of tidal planning is pretty essential to be able to make the crossing. But once you're there, it is just an amazing environment. Mm. Um, and then to the south, we've got the Minkies, which is a, a bigger reef. It's a 12 mile open crossing to get there. So we don't do that so often, but we still go down there as often as we can. And it's just, again, it's just a lovely place to explore. And then uh, the island itself. So, Nikki, tell us a little bit about if you're, you're paddling on the island itself. Uh, what might you see there? Okay, so, yes. Yeah, so, on the north coast, it's mainly quite high cliffs. We've got a lot of very attractive pink granite, really. The, the granite is very pinky colour. And so, it gives an amazing colour when you're paddling around. There's some large bays. The whole of the west coast is about five miles long and it's one big beach really which is a huge surf beach at certain times because there's nothing between us really and Nova Scotia so you, you do get a, a big powerful swell coming in there. On the southwest corner we've got a very dramatic position for a lighthouse which is which is a really it's the most photographed spot probably in Jersey um, and you get a big tide running along there. And then as you go along the south coast, you come along into a bit more populated places. You've got some popular beaches and then the main town is on the south coast and the harbour. The best thing about paddling around the island is it, it changes daily. Um, the tidal range, as Kevin's already said, is so big that it's never the same really. And in different weather conditions, different tidal conditions, different sunlight, you know, the whole coast looks different. So we never really get bored of paddling the bits nearest us so you've got reefs lighthouses surf beaches cliffs caves tide races what don't you have there mm, it's true um <laughs> we don't have mountains <laughs> um but we do have we, the other thing we do have is a lot of historical sort of defenses along the island so there's a lot of historic what we call martello towers and jersey round towers we've got some two quite impressive castles on the coast uh, so and the little villages in especially along the north coast which were fishing villages oyster places for the oyster fishermen yeah it's it's interesting from historically as well i mean my favorite is our prehistory because there's one cave in the island which is sort of 18 meters higher than the the um, present sea level which is home to um, neanderthal they found neanderthal teeth there um, mammoth bones, all sorts of things like that. And it's actually the most important Neanderthal site in the whole of the British Isles. So, and, and you can paddle past that on a, a regular day's paddle. Fascinating. Well, you've got everything to see and everything to do there from a water standpoint, I guess. Is there a big, um, I guess, a tourist business there? 
So the, the, the main industry that we have in Jersey at the moment is, is probably finance, but in the past it has been tourism and agriculture. And the government is still trying to actively promote tourism, perhaps a different type of tourism to 30 years ago where people used to come for a week and sit on the beach. Now people are coming for different reasons and we get a fair number of um, kayakers who come here on holiday, which is, is nice to be able to share our local waters with people. And we have since 1992 up until 2019, we ran a, a symposium here every two years, a sea kayak symposium, which attracted people from actually from all over the world to come and find out what paddling in Jersey is all about, because it is it is a pretty unique destination. Do you still run that symposium there? We haven't run one since 2019. We did run an event this summer, so in August 2023, we ran a, a weekend specifically for people to paddle the Nordcap kayak. So the Valley Nordcap kayak was sort of, as you're probably aware, is seen as a, a classic kayak, a classic sea kayak. So we put on three days of paddling, but only if you'd got a, a Nordcap. We got about 35 people paddled over the weekend which was good. Now, I know you paddle a Nordcap, right? Yeah, I've got three different varieties. And uh, Nikki, a Nordcap also or something different? No, I, I did have a Nordcap, but when I had children and and didn't paddle for quite a while, I used to find the Nordcap a bit uncomfortable. So now I'm, I have a Tide Racer, Tide Race Excite. So that, that's interesting. I've, I've not heard of a symposium or an event specifically centered around one boat. So tell us a little bit about that. I think it came about because the, the sort of the classic Nordcap, I suppose, is the Nordcap HM, which came around in the sort of late 70s. And there were a lot of them on the island uh, at the time, Valley Canoe Products and Frank Goodman in particular was coming over to Jersey. The, the Nordcap was promoted as a kayak to have. Things have changed, but a lot of these boats, well, a lot of these kayaks spent time in, in people's garages those people no longer paddle and so they started to come onto the market and people bought them up and actually did them up so they you know they got them looking really smart so we decided actually we should celebrate this all these people who've invested time and energy and money in creating you know a good looking sea kayak from a a kayak which is 40 years old and so we've had a couple of weekends which have just been devoted to paddling the Nordcap. All right that's really interesting. I mean, I've seen you know classic car clubs that people center around one car but uh, centering around one kayak is a, is a different type of activity. So Nikki are you putting together a, a Tide Race Excite group then? So yeah no um, there's quite a few Tide Races on the island. I think the thing is with kayaks on the island is because we're because of our island location, people tend to get the same sorts of boats because um, it's, it, you want to be able to try them. And if, if there are no, none of that particular type of boat on the island, then they basically don't get any sort of outings really. So um, yeah, we there are tide races and caps and valley boats, the main ones. Do you see that symposium coming back? It's certainly a demand for it, but because of the contraction in the tourist industry, and particularly in the number of beds which are available. We've always run it the last week of May in the year, which tends to be with good weather. That week wouldn't be available anymore in terms of renting out a hotel or some other sort of similar tourist facility. 
so we'd have to move it to a less suitable time of the year. So I'm not sure that that would necessarily work so well. So we haven't said no, but we haven't got plans at the moment to run it. So it may well come back. Okay. So I should, and I should be clear uh, in what I mentioned, uh, that, that is more the Jersey Sea Kayak Symposium, or is, is that the actual name? It is, yep. The Jersey Sea Kayak Symposium. Been okay. going since 1992. Okay. And now, do you plan on doing the NordCap event again? We were talking about it this morning on the water. All right. So that the plan <laughs> is to just have just a, an informal weekend, probably in June, where this year or next year, 2024, just an informal weekend of paddling Nordcaps. Now, is that open to people uh, outside of Jersey? It is, yeah. Right. We, had, we had people coming over this summer from, from England so, and made very welcome. So it's, it's a good event. All right. Now, how do people get to Jersey? Uh, there's ferries. There's a fast ferry from Poole on the south coast in Dorset and then traditional ferries from Portsmouth. And then there are also fast ferries from St. Malo on the north coast of France. Uh, but the majority of people who arrive would fly in. All right. Now, you had mentioned uh, agriculture a little while back. On an island that's nine miles by five miles and has 100,000 people on it, is there really that much space for agriculture? It always amazes me when I drive around the island that there are so many open spaces and so many fields. The population is concentrated in certain areas. So the southeast part of the island and St. Helier is quite heavily populated. But then the northern parishes, Jersey is divided into 12 parishes, the northern parishes, there's considerable areas of agricultural land. Jersey is well known, obviously, for its cows, the Jersey cow, mm -hmm. and potatoes. In the past, it used to be tomatoes, but that is, they've sort of no longer really produced. But So it's potatoes and the Jersey cow are the sort of, if you like, some of the trademarks of the agricultural industry here. Uh, Jersey is part of the Channel Islands, so Nikki, tell us a little bit about other islands that are involved in the uh, the Channel Islands or a part of that Channel Islands archipelago, and uh, do you get to any of those at all? Yes, well, we do. It's interesting, really, because Jersey is termed the bailiwick of Jersey, so we have our own bailiff, and then Guernsey, which is the other, the next largest of the Channel Islands, is also a bailiwick, but Guernsey. The Bailiwick of Guernsey also includes um, Herm, which is very tiny. It's only just over a mile long. Sark, which is a wonderful place which we can visit, which has got no cars and up until fairly recently was, was feudal. And then there's Alderney as well, plus a number of the reefs. Like Kevin said, we've got the Equihoes, the Minkies and um, Paternosters. There's quite a number of reefs around the islands. So yes, they're, but they're governed completely separately, which seems strange for such a small area really and um, Guernsey is about 14-15 miles from us Sark's about 12 miles um, Alden is a bit further out and is much closer to the Normandy coast so yes yeah, so that it, it's it's quite an interesting area really there are links between them they're they're actually not as good as they used to be you used to be able to get on a very small plane and fly backwards and forwards quite simply but now it's a bit harder to get between them which seems ridiculous really when they're so close you can see them but you can't get there as easily that's right yeah, that's it i mean there the, you can get the um the, the boats which go to england stop off in guernsey so you can do that and then you get a smaller boat in between the other islands but we do paddle up to them the best you know it's a really good paddle to go from jersey up to sark because you get quite a good push 
it's about 12 12 nautical miles but you you get there in 3 hours really so you're you get a good push from the tide and if you don't get if you don't go at the right time you don't get there basically <laughs> now tell us about paddling on sark um well sark is is just a stunning island it's about 7 miles all the way round it's got incredible geology there but it's got this amazing sort of um contorted metamorphic sort of rocks which just look fantastic and there's lots and lots of stacks lots and lots of arches there's caves which you can run through which you know go for perhaps 100 meters or so through the cliffs and the tide runs through them so it's a very dramatic place to paddle and the seven miles you know it doesn't seem very far but actually it, it takes you a good day to do just because you're in and out of every single little gully little cave and the interesting thing about Sark there's no easy way to the top it's um it again it's a plateau like we are but the beaches every beach you have to sort of climb the sort of um, 100 meters back up onto the top into the top plateau so yeah so it's a fascinating island and because it's got no cars um it's just got bikes people go around on tractors uh, it's it's a really fun place to go. It's only got 500 people living on it. It's got a few pubs and and hotels and things. And it, it's just yeah, it's a great location. And it's it's best to go if you can stay the night because if you stay the night, all the day trippers have left and you have the place a bit to yourself. It's really fun. Well, like you said, even though uh, it's only seven miles around, with all that uh, varied coastline and all those unique features, of course you have to tuck into every one of them and check them all out. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Kevin, tell us a little bit about Guernsey. So Guernsey is the, the second largest of the islands, and it's a little bit further out into the channel than we are, so it's a little bit more exposed to the sort of North Atlantic swell. So the west coast of Guernsey is quite low-lying, but has some really lovely beaches. It does have the swell on the headlands. The south coast of Guernsey is really dramatic, with... Uh, just really one or two places that you can actually get out only one place really where it's easy to get out and get car access to beautiful cliffs again exposed to the swell particularly towards the western end tide races off the headlands just a, a magic place to paddle and as you come along to the sort of the southeast corner the views open up you can look south towards jersey but closer you've got Sark and Herm and Jetu, some of the other islands. So you have this fantastic backdrop. And then it's around the corner, and hopefully, if you've got your timing right, you shoot on the tide up towards St. Peterport, which is the, the main town on, on Guernsey. Now, you both had mentioned the, the reefs, and you said the reefs are inhabited? No, there, there are houses on them, which used to be fishermen's sort of cottages, some of them dating back to the 18th century. But uh, Nowadays, they are sort of local people will, will own them. They use them at weekends and for in the summer. So they, they go out and, and visit. But sometimes if you go out like midweek in January, if you have a really nice day and you nip out to the reef, you'll have the whole reef to yourself. There'll be nobody there. Whereas you go, say, a nice Sunday in July, it can be really crowded because <laughs> not only do you get the Jersey boats going out but you'll also get a lot of people coming over from France. Paddles out to the reefs are what one of the things that makes kayaking in Jersey really special. When I think of a reef I, I think of something that's underwater as opposed to an exposed reef and that's why it just it, I guess it didn't dawn on me that. 
but there's a huge difference between what's exposed at low water and what's it what's still exposed at high water particularly on spring tides so the minkies for example that you've probably got 10 or 12 rocks above the water on a high spring tide but on a low spring tide you've probably got six or seven miles of dry land from east to west it's quite incredible how the the whole landscape changes as you know with these really big tides that they just reveal this in, this the seabed is revealed basically mm -hmm. for several hours each day and it, it's a, like a true wilderness and that paddling in those reefs is one of the real highlights of paddling in the channel islands I bet it does sound very unique. I mean, all of the islands connected uh, sound very, very unique. Yeah. Is there much of a um, a rental boat opportunity or guiding opportunity there? So in Jersey, there's there's one major sea kayak commercial sea kayaking company, and and they run things pretty much throughout the year. They've been very successful. Have attracted people from uh, all over Europe, really, on a regular basis, which is really good. But there's also uh, on Jersey, there's the Jersey Canoe Club, which we're part of, and in 2024 we'll be celebrating our 50th anniversary of the founding of the club. And so uh, we're very welcoming. We've got a fleet of sea kayaks, and we're more than happy for people to come and uh, share our waters and uh, to guide people around. Uh, and the club's really active. We we probably paddle in the summer six days a week, so we're quite happy to to sort of take people out and show them the good bits around the Channel Islands. So now the, you mentioned the pretty active club scene and uh, celebrating the 50th anniversary. How large is the club? At the moment, we've got just over 100, 100 members, but a lot of those are very active. I mean, today, this morning, it was force eight mm -hmm. this morning, so it was blowing a gale. Yeah. It was pouring down with rain, and we still had 26 members turn up to go for a paddle. Wow. So you know, it's, uh, it is a very active club. It sounds it. So, so Nikki, how do you weave your geography background into uh, your tours? Uh, well, I mean, my interest is landscape and coastal landscapes and things. So it's really what I like about paddling. I'm probably less of a technical paddler and more using a, a kayak as a means of transport, really. And that's the same whenever we go away. I, you know, I can't, I, I just love finding out about new places and, and, you know, if we have new people coming over to the island, you know, I really enjoy taking people out and showing them all the weird sort of French coastal defences and the <laughs> German occupation stuff. And I can't, I can't help myself really when we're going along telling people about it. <laughs> oh, it that sounds like a, a, a great way to uh, enhance your paddling. Yes, yes. I mean, we, we are lucky because there's such a variety. You know, we've got the island is actually applying to become a geopark which is a UNESCO designation. And, you know, our geology for such a small place, which is nine miles by five, is incredibly varied. And, and you know, we've got lots and lots of interesting ice age deposits and all sorts of things like that. So, yeah, there's a lot to, a lot to share with people. And you told me uh, prior to us uh, recording here, you said you uh, lead a lot of walking tours on Jersey as well. That's right, yes. I'm, I'm with a group called Jersey Uncovered and... We do local walking tours for people. We do coach tours as well. We're I'm a group of guides, and I tend to do the walks and things. But I also do geo walks for Jersey Heritage. So I might take people to go and see the 
Neanderthal caves. There's two, there's one hunting cave, which is a bit of a scramble down to, but um, you get into it and it's quite incredible to think that sort of Neanderthals at one time were chasing mammoth around in that landscape. So yeah, no, I always enjoy doing that sort of thing. Uh, one of our recent guests on uh, episode 99 was Katie Carr. And I understand that uh, you're Katie, I say Katie is your niece. That's right. Yes, Katie's my, yeah, I'm her aunt. So um, yes, and she's just written the most amazing story of her brother who sadly died. Um, and she's done an amazing job of it. And yeah, Toby, who is her brother, my nephew, mm-hmm. um, started paddling really in Jersey. We sort of encouraged him to, to start. And then he went and joined Tower Hamlets Canoe Club. And I believe you've interviewed people from there as well. So it's... Um, it, yes, it's a it's a small small world really the kayaking world. But yeah, Katie's now starting to um, learn to kayak. I took her out in Barcelona this January, January twenty three, and it was the first time really she'd been in a, a proper sea kayak. And now she's paddled in quite a number of the sea sea um, the shipping forecast areas around Britain now. And this summer, I was in Scotland with Katie. Uh, we went up to um, the Isle of Mull and to Skye as well. We did quite a bit of paddling. I mean, she's never paddled before really. And we did a overnight camp because I thought she really ought to experience the packing the boat, landing on a nice beach, enjoying an evening in the, um, you know, by camping. But unfortunately we had fairly lousy weather, but um, even so it was still quite special to be able to do that with her. Oh, certainly. um, Because, you know that's what Toby had experienced every day when he was out on his his big expeditions. Now, what were the areas of the shipping forecast that you paddled in, on that trip? We were in both Malin and Hebrides. So Malin actually extends across to Ireland. Mm-hmm. So she'd already done some of the Irish ones earlier on in the summer, and then we went up to to the Hebrides, just the inner Hebrides. We didn't manage to get out to the outer Hebrides, which would have been nice, but. Um, we're limited in time, both of us. So, but but it was a great trip to to do. And I know she was having trouble with a, a few of the forecast areas that are just open water. Um, has she consulted with you, and have you come up with any ideas for her on that one? Yeah, I think she's still thinking. Really, we had um, we did meet um, somebody from Sea Kayak Plockton, Allison, and she suggested the cruise ship might be the idea to do it but um i'm really not quite so sure about that so i think they may remain we did decide that we could just drink a a bottle of bailey's sometime on some nice beach and (laughs) say well that's bailey done (laughs) (laughs) there we go that could be the opportunity now kevin uh, i understand you've had some other paddles as well tell us about svalbard so we went to svalbard in 1983 i mean it's hard to believe it's 40 years ago but we went uh, for two months and we pretty much paddled the whole of the west coast of Spitsbergen. We flew into obviously Longyearbyen which is in the middle and we spent four weeks paddling north, came back down, refill fuel, enough fuel, food <laughs> and paddled south for four weeks as well and it was a time when people didn't go there. That was now, you know, you can go there on on kayaking trips and things like that. We were there for two months. We saw a French yacht and four Russian scientists, and that was it. Apart from, we had two visits from the governor's helicopter. 
but we we literally didn't see anybody for weeks at a time. It was really remote. It was just the most amazing place to go. We we're all in our mid twenties, you know. So it it was just the experience of a lifetime. We achieved what we wanted to do. We 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 did all the usual things. We had polar bear outside the tent. We saw beluga whales. We did all that. We walked on glaciers. We spent time on beaches. It was just a defining trip, I think, in terms of, of our lives for most of us. Now, 1983, I mean, the technology is clearly different then uh, than it is now. How did you communicate? Uh, we didn't. Okay. Uh, so we, uh, <laughs> we as, ta- as regards weather forecasts, you'd stick your head outside the tent, and if you thought, well, those clouds look all right, we'll go for a paddle. If you didn't like the way the clouds were building, you'd get off the water. We didn't have a weather forecast for two months. It was just basically developing skills and instincts, which I suppose come under the broad heading of seamanship in many ways. So we had no communication whatsoever. And I think we were probably the first group of kayakers to go out from the UK wearing dry suits. Dry suits had just come in in the windsurfing market. But there was this sort of urban myth that if you capsized in a kayak, and you had to come out, all the air was going to go to your feet and you were going to be suspended upside down. Uh. So I borrowed a dry suit. I paddled out off the north shore of Jersey, north coast of Jersey, plucked up the courage to capsize. And clearly that didn't happen because I'm here <laughs> talking to you. But the, and based on that experience of capsizing and coming out of my kayak, we got dry suits. And as everybody knows who paddles in dry suits now, they made the trip just bearable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would have been absolutely miserable without them. I mean, we kept weather observations and we had a thermometer and the thermometer didn't go above three degrees in in two months. Mm. And when we landed in Isfjorden, the, the fjord was still frozen. We had to do some big two detours around it. And at the end of the trip, we were stuck in the tents for 36 hours in a blizzard. Winter had returned, really. <laughs> and we were, we were worried about missing our flight home. So, uh, yeah, so for people in their mid-twenties, it was a real experience. Have you been back since? I've not been to Svalbard, but um, we did do a club trip where we actually paddled to Nordcap in 1986, which was uh, in northern Norway. We spent four weeks paddling up from Tromso, but... The place I, I really like going to is to Greenland, and so I've done I've done ten trips in Greenland. What's your What's been your favourite? I love paddling on the the west coast of Greenland. There's an area called Disco Bay, and it offers you the things that you want to see in in Greenland, which is it has 24 hours of daylight, it has lots of ice, and it has no bears as far as we're aware. So you can be a bit more relaxed about how you camp. But, you know, we were there this summer. We paddled there a lot, but we still paddled in some new areas in this bay. We went into some new fjords. We discovered some new things. We discovered this, um, uh, it was called a caribou fence, which is probably four or 500 years old. And it was used when caribou were forced to come down the valleys and they were deflected by this, this stone wall and then people were able to either shoot them in bows and ar- with bows and arrows, or if the caribou went into the water, they could harpoon them from kayaks. And we just discovered this feature. I'd read about it in a book which was over 100 years old, and we went and found it. 
And it's that sort of thing about that wilderness is what I think keeps drawing us back and to go paddling there. Do you go guided, unguided? If you go unguided, is it friendly to someone just going on their own? Yeah, it's, we, we, we've never had a guide. I did one trip where I guided for a French company a few years ago. But generally, it's just a group of friends go mainly from the canoe club. One of the things that we did with the, the symposium, which we, which we mentioned earlier, one year we ran it with the idea of raising a bit of money, which we did, which we bought eight kayaks. And so the Jersey Canoe Club, we have eight kayaks in Ilulisat on the west coast of Greenland. So the logistics for us are really easy. You know, you just fly in, pick up the boats, pick up the kayaks, go to the supermarket, paddle out for three weeks. It's, it's very easy to do. You've just got to be aware of the ice. If you ever see photographs of people sitting under arches of ice, I always panic because yeah. I think that is such a risky thing to do. You only have to see those arches collapse once sure. and you'd never, ever go near icebergs again. Yeah, or see that thing turn over. Oh, yeah. When you, when you see a big berg break up, it's, it, is, it can be terrifying, particularly when you're on the water. But, you know, thankfully, it doesn't happen that often. So some years we go and you won't see it at all. But we're aware of what the potential is. And so, you know, it's the idea of making sure your kayaks are 10 metres above the high water mark, that you think about how you position your tent, everything like that. And it's one of the things that as we begin to realise is as you paddle through the environment, as you paddle along the coast, you're paddling, you're travelling through that environment as the people did over hundreds of years. And you basically need the same things. You need somewhere to get off the water, to take, get out your kayak or your umiak or whatever craft you're using, somewhere to put your tent and somewhere with fresh water. And as, long, as soon as we began to think, well, that's what people have wanted for hundreds of years, everywhere we landed, we started to see evidence of human habitation, which would be hundreds of years old. And I think as kayakers, we're almost the only people who see that now because the Greenlanders who you see kayaking are very much into the rolling and the skills, which is amazing to see, but they're not into the journeying aspect. So they'll be around the main towns and the main towns have kayak clubs, but you don't see them when you're out paddling. This year we didn't see, we were out for 18 days this summer. So, and we didn't see any other kayakers. Over the years that you've uh, been going there, has it changed much? It has, uh, sadly. But the, one of the things is I camped on a particular place in 2008 and the campsite was dominated by this glacier. It was quite, it was up in the mountains behind the campsite. In 2009, you could see it had already started to, to shrink. This year, so 2023, so 15 years on, you couldn't see the glacier. Mm -hmm. It had gone. That's pretty More, dramatic. Yeah. And also linked to that is I think the glaciers which are coming down to sea level and a carving are breaking up more regularly and so often there's a lot more ice in the sea now in certain parts than there was in 2008 or the first time I went was 1993 so it's changed hugely in the 30 years but 
there's a lot more ice out in the water now because I think the glaciers are breaking up. Those the tidewater glaciers are breaking up quicker than they used to. Nikki, is uh, is Greenland uh, an area for you as well? Yes, yes, I've been five times now. Not quite so many times as Kevin, but um, it is an, in- an incredible environment. Basically, it's just wonderful to see the the mountains, the the big glacial rivers which come down to the sea. You know, it's it's spectacular, really. It is an amazing place, and and in terms of the kayaking, it's not generally difficult. It's uh, it, it tends to get a big sort of Arctic high pressure over it in the summer, and so you know you get really really calm seas, far calmer seas than we ever get around the Channel Islands, really. Um, so you get amazing reflections, and yeah, it's it's stunning. The only downside is the bugs. Heavy and bu- heavy on bugs. Uh, it can be at certain t- times. The first time I went was in 2008, and actually we went a bit later in the summer, and we didn't have any bugs. But this year we were there in July, and yeah, it was it was pretty buggy. But that you sort of blank that out really because you remember the, you know, sitting on amazing, sort of three billion old rocks, these ice scoured rocks which you get smoothed off which, you know, you can lie around on, get the heat coming from them. It's just, yeah, it's a wonderful place. So when's the best time to go? Well, it's, it's difficult. I mean, it is obviously the summer. And the thing is, if you go too early in June, um, there may not be bugs, but also the sea might be frozen. We've been sort of mid-August and we didn't have bugs then, but and we did have good weather. So I think it varies. I mean, each year is different. This year, and, and again, with climate change, the Greenlanders who we spoke to, they did say that it, it's been a wetter summer than usual, so they'd had more rainfall. And, and in fact, when we arrived this year in the middle of July, it was wet, which we've never had before. It was actually raining. And you think, oh, what's this? <laughs> we don't normally have it like this. It's normally sunshine and, and calm. But And we did have some wind. So, you know, the, as temperatures of the sea change, that will affect the climate and the weather patterns which they get and they certainly the people were saying that they'd had a much wetter year than they they normally would have do so kevin you've got some involvement with the arctic club yep it's uh, an organization that uh, started in 1932 for people who who go to the arctic are interested in the arctic either from a scientific or an adventurous point of view um so it's a it's a, an amazing organisation and I'm really privileged that um, in December this year, for, for the following year, so from December 2023 to 2024, I'll be president of the Arctic Club, which is quite an amazing honour, really. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. So how does one become an Arctic Club member? You have to have done at least two uh, trips to the Arctic and it's fairly well defined what the Arctic is, which sounds a bit silly, but for example, Arctic Norway, Arctic Finland, they don't count. So, but Greenland does, Svalbard does, Northern Canada does, Northern Alaska, they count. And then if you're ever able to access places like Navoya, Zemlivar or whatever, the Russian islands to the north, they would count. But uh, Arctic, the Arctic Europe or the parts of Europe that are in the Arctic don't actually count. You have to have done two trips, as I say, and you need somebody who is prepared to propose you. Okay. One of the things that attracts me to the club is one of the, it doesn't have many objectives, but one of them is that on the first or second 
weekend of December, the members of the club will meet for an evening of fine dining and discussions of mutual interest, brackets, no speeches. So <laughs> the dinner's just great. It's really, uh, really amazing places where it's held last year. So 2022, it was uh, St. John's College, Cambridge at the university. Just an amazing place to hold a meal. And uh, yeah, nobody gives speeches, which is great. You have toasts. So there's three toasts which are given during the course of the meal where you stand up. And, uh, and that will be my job in 2024 is to do the toasts at the annual dinner. But uh, yeah, it's a great organisation. Well, congratulations, and uh, you're taking over the uh, the chair or the presidency from uh, Ollie Sanders, is that right? That's right, yeah. All right. Well, it was actually Ollie who proposed me and got me into the club in the first place. Well, Ollie was a guest for us on episode 28, where we talked mm -hmm. about uh, trips to Greenland. Yeah, Ollie's a little bit further north than than where we, we go, and obviously he's combined his with that, with his climbing of the, the, the cliffs, whereas we go specifically just for the paddling. So, Nikki, uh, tell us where can where can listeners find you? I'm I'm in a group called Jersey Uncovered. So yes, through through the Jersey Uncovered website. I'm also on Twitter as Nikki Mansell, and Facebook and things. And I also have a Instagram called Jersey Geo Walks as well. So that would be how you'd find me. All right, and we'll we'll include links to that in our in our show notes. And uh, Kevin, how about you? So the easiest way to get hold of me would be through my Instagram, which is C, as in S-E-A, C dot Paddler. Super. Well, we'll make sure we include that as well. Um, Kevin, one other question for you. That trip to Nordcap, I'm assuming you paddled a Nordcap. I did. All right. We, in fact, I think uh, <laughs> of the eight of us, seven of us paddled Nordcaps. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I've still got that kayak. So it was eight. It was nineteen eighty six, and I, I still, I didn't paddle it today, but I do still paddle it regularly. Do you still have your first Nordcap? Is that is that the first one? No, I, I got my first one in nineteen eighty, and a, a Frenchman made me an offer for it on a beach, and I'd had the the kayak made to my specifications, and after about a month, I realised the specifications were wrong. So when he offered me to buy it off me I thought I'll sell it and I'll buy a new one and I'll get the specifications right on my second one now that one uh that one person that didn't paddle a Nordcap what were they thinking <laughs> well yeah <laughs> I mean really in hindsight we shouldn't have let them go <laughs> <laughs> they'll know next time <laughs> yeah um, Nikki who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue well, we were talking about this and we thought it'd be really nice for you to launch out into Europe a bit. And we'd suggest Agnes Pennison, who's um, started her paddling in Jersey. Um, she's a French lady who was working in Jersey for a while and now she lives in Brittany. She does a lot of guiding herself. She's a very, very skilled paddler and has also kayaked in lots of interesting places. That sounds fantastic. Thank you for the uh, for the opportunity. And you're right, we have not had a French guest on the show, so that will be a great opportunity to reach into Europe further. Good. 
Well, Nikki, Kevin, thank you very much for the opportunity. This has been wonderful having the out chance to talk to you and learning all about Jersey, one, uh, one of the other areas that we've not really had the uh, chance to talk about yet on the show, but um, certainly sounds like a fascinating place. As I mentioned, you've got everything that you could ask for from a paddling perspective, and so uh, hopefully some folks will get the opportunity to maybe come out to Jersey, do a little bit of paddling, and, and maybe see you at the, at the club. We're very welcoming. We've always got um, spare kayaks, so if people get in touch, we can always help. Sounds wonderful. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions, along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler, and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or whitewater, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit PaddlingExercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. It never fails. Every guest gives me another opportunity to add something to the bucket list. The Channel Islands really sound amazing. They have every type of water feature from caves and reefs to surf beaches, along with castles and martello towers. It's all there. We'll have to watch for the reappearance of the Jersey Sea Kayak Symposium. And if you fancy a Nordcap weekend, check in with Kevin. Thanks again to our partners at OnlineSeaKayaking.com for extending a special offer to you. Visit OnlineSeaKayaking.com. Enter the code PTB podcast at checkout and get 10% off just for being a member of the Paddling the Blue community. For our next episode, we'll head back to Ireland to talk with Tom Daly. In 1979, Tom completed the first solo circumnavigation of Ireland. It was a very different time then, and we'll hear about it firsthand. Until next time, thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.